Section five of Vice Versa by F. Anstey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Vice Versa by F. Anstey. Chapter four. A Minnow Amongst Tritons. Part two. Six pairs of sulky, glowering eyes were fixed upon the unconscious Paul for the rest of the journey indignant protests and dark vows of vengeance were muttered under cover of the friendly roar and rattle of tunnels but the object of them heard nothing his composure was returning once more in the sunshine of dr grimstone's approbation and he almost decided on declaring himself in the station fly and now at last the train was grinding along discordantly with the brakes on and after a little preliminary jolting and banging over the points drew up at a long lighted platform where melancholy porters paced up and down croaking market rodwell like so many solemn eagles predicting woe paul got out with the others and walked forward to the garden's van where he stood shivering in the raw night air by a small heap of portmanteaus and white clamped boxes i should like to tell him all about it now he thought if he wasn't so busy i'll get him to go in a cab alone with me and get it over before we reach the house dr grimstone certainly did not seem in a very receptive mood for confidences just then no flies were to be seen which he took as a personal outrage and visited upon the station-master in hot indignation it's scandalous i tell you he was saying scandalous no cabs to meet the train my school reassembles to-day and here i find no arrangements made for their accommodation not even an omnibus i shall write to the manager and report this let someone go for a fly immediately boys go into the waiting-room till i come to you stay there are too many people for one fly goga gogs and let me see yes bultitude you all know your way walk on and tell mrs grimstone we are coming poor bultitude was perhaps more relieved than disappointed by this postponement of a disagreeable interview though if he had seen coker dig cogs in the side with a chuckle of exultant triumph he might have had misgivings as to the prudence of trusting himself alone with them as it was he almost determined to trust the pair with his secret they will be valuable witnesses he said to himself that whoever else i may be i am not dick so he went on briskly ahead over a covered bridge and down some breakneck wooden steps and passed through the wicket out upon the railed inn space where the cabs and omnibuses should have been but which was now a blank spectral waste with a white ground fog lurking round its borders here he was joined by his companions who after a little whispering came up one on either side and put one arm through each of his well said paul thinking to banter them agreeably 
here you are young men eh holidays all over now work while you're young and then gad you're walking me off my legs stop i'm not as young as i used to be grim can't see us here can he coker said coggs when they had cleared the gates and palings not he said coker very well then now then young bultitude you used to be a decent fellow enough last term though you were coxy so before we go any further what do you mean by this sort of thing because put in coker if you aren't quite right in your head through your old governor acting like a brute all the holidays as you said he does just say so and we won't be hard on you i he always an excellent father stammered paul what am i to explain why what did you go and sneak of him for bringing tuck back to school for eh demanded coker yes and sing out when he hacked your shin added coggs and tell grimstone that new fellow was blubbing where's the joke in all that eh where's the joke you don't suppose i was bound to sit calmly down and allow you to suck your villainous peppermints under my very nose do you said mr bultitude why shouldn't i complain if a boy annoys me by sniffing or kicking me on the ankle just tell me that suppose my neighbour has a noisy dog or a smoky chimney am i not to venture to tell him of it is he to but his arguments convincing as they promised to be were brought to a sudden and premature close by coker who slipped behind him and administered a sharp jog below his back which jarred his spine and caused him infinite agony you little brute cried prawl i could have you up for assault for that but upon this coggs did the very same thing only harder last term you'd have shown fight for much less bultitude they both observed severely as some justification for repeating the process now perhaps you'll drop it for the future said coker look here we'll give you one more chance this sneaking dodge is all very well for chawner chawner could do that sort of thing without being sat upon because he's a big fellow but we're not going to stand it from you will you promise on your sacred word of honour now to be a decent sort of chap again as you were last term but mr bultitude though he longed for peace and quietness dreaded doing or saying anything to favour the impression that he was the schoolboy he unluckily appeared to be and he had not skill and tact enough to dissemble and assume a familiar genial tone of equality with these rough boys you don't understand he protested feebly if i could only tell you we don't want any fine language you know said the relentless coggs yes or no will you promise to be your old self again i only wish i could said poor mr bultitude but i can't very well then said coggs firmly we must try the torture coker 
will you screw the back of his hand while i show him how they make barley sugar and he gave paul an interesting illustration of the latter branch of industry by twisting his right arm round and round till he nearly wrenched it out of the socket while coker seized his left hand and pounded it viciously with the first joint of his finger causing the unfortunate paul to yell for mercy at last he could hear no more and breaking away from his torturers with a violent effort he ran frantically down the silent road towards a house which he knew from former visits to be dr grimstone's he was but languidly pursued and as the distance was short he soon gained a gate on the stuccoed posts of which he could read christian house by the light of a neighbouring gas-lamp this is a nice way he thought as he reached it breathless and trembling for a father to visit his son's school he had hoped to reach sanctuary before the other two could overtake him but he soon discovered that the gate was shut fast and all his efforts would not bring him within reach of the bell-handle he was too short so he sat down on the doorstep in resigned despair and waited for his enemies behind the gate was a large many-windowed house with steps leading up to a portico in the playground to his right the school gymnasium a great gallows-like erection loomed black and grim through the mist the night wind favouring the ghastliness of its appearance by swaying the ropes till they creaked and moaned weirdly on the hooks and the metal stirrups clinked and clashed against one another in irregular cadence he had no time to observe more as coker and coggs joined him and on finding he had not rung the bell seized the occasion to pummel him at their leisure before announcing their arrival then the gate was opened and the three the revengeful pair assuming an air of lamb-like inoffensiveness entered the hall and were met by mrs grimstone why here you are she said with an air of surprise and kissing them with real kindness how cold you look so you actually had to walk no cabs as usual oh poor boys come in and warm yourselves you'll find all your old friends in the schoolroom mr bultitude submitted to be kissed with some reluctance inwardly hoping that dr grimstone might never hear of it mrs grimstone it may be said here was a stout fair woman not in the least intellectual or imposing but with a warm heart and a way of talking to and about the boys that secured her the confidence of mothers more effectually perhaps than the most polished conversation and irreproachable deportment could have done she did not reserve her motherliness for the reception-room either as some schoolmasters wives do have a tendency to do and the smallest boy felt less homesick when he saw her she opened a green baize outer door and the door beyond it and led them into a long high room with desks and forms placed against the walls and a writing-table 
and a line of brown stained tables down the middle opposite the windows there was a curious structure of shelves partitioned into lockers and filled with rows of shabby school books the room was originally intended for a drawing-room as was evident from the inevitable white and gold wallpaper and the tarnished gilt beading round the doors and window shutters the mantelpiece too was of white marble and the gazolier fitted with dingy crystal lustres but sad-coloured maps hung on the ink-splashed walls and a clock with a blank idiotic face it is not every clock that possesses a decently intelligent expression ticked over the gilt pier-glass the boards were uncarpeted and stained with ink of all sizes and ages while the atmosphere in spite of the blazing fire had a scholastic blending of soap and water ink and slate pencil in its composition which produced a chill and depressing effect on the forms opposite the fire some ten or twelve boys were sitting a few comparing notes as to their holiday experiences with some approach to vivacity the rest with hands in pockets and feet stretched towards the blaze seemed lost in melancholy abstraction there said mrs grimstone cheerfully you'll have plenty to talk to one another about i'll send tom in to see you presently and she left them with a reassuring nod though the prospect of tom's company did not perhaps elate them as much as it was intended to do mr bultitude felt much as if he had suddenly been dropped into a bear-pit and avoiding welcome and observation as well as he could got away into a corner from which he observed his new companions with uneasy apprehension i say said one boy resuming the interrupted conversation did you go to drury lane wasn't it stunning that goose you know and the lion in the forest and all the wooden animals lumbering in and out of the toy noah's ark why couldn't you come to our party on twelfth night observed another we had great larks i wish you'd been there i had to go to young skidmore's instead said a pale spiteful-looking boy with fair hair carefully parted in the middle it was like his cheek to ask me i thought i'd go you know just to see what it was like what was it like asked one or two near him languidly oh awful slow they've a poky little house in brompton somewhere and there's no dancing only boshy games and a conjurer without any presents and oh i say there was a big cake on the table and no one was allowed to cut it because it was hired they're so poor you know skidmore's pater is only a clerk and you should see his sisters why are they pretty pretty they're just like young skidmore only uglier and just fancy his mother asked me if i was skidmore's favourite companion and if he helped me in my studies the unfortunate skidmore when he returned 
soon found reason to regret his rash hospitality for he never heard the last of the cake which had as it happened been paid for in the usual manner during the rest of the term there was a slight laugh at the enormity of mrs skidmore's presumption and then a long pause after which someone asked suddenly does anyone know whether chawner really has left this time i hope so said a heavy boy and his hope seemed echoed with a general fervour he's been going to leave every term for the last year but i believe he really has done it this time he wrote and told me he wasn't coming back thank goodness said several with an evident relief and someone was just observing that they had had enough of the sneaking business when a fly was heard to drive up and the bell rang whereupon everyone abandoned his easy attitude and seemed to brace himself up for a trying encounter look out here's grimstone they whispered under their breaths as voices and footsteps were heard in the hall outside presently the door of the schoolroom opened and another boy entered the room dr grimstone it appeared had not been the occupant of the fly after all the newcomer was a tall narrow-shouldered stooping fellow with a sallow unwholesome complexion thin lips and small sunken brown eyes his cheeks were creased with a dimpling sub-smile half uneasy half malicious and his tread was mincing and cap-like well you fellows he said all rose at once and shook hands effusively why chawner they cried how are you old fellow we thought you weren't coming back there was a heartiness in their manner somewhat at variance with their recent expressions of opinion but they had doubtless excellent reasons for any inconsistency well said chawner in a low soft voice which had a suggestion of feminine spitefulness i was going to leave but i thought you'd be getting into mischief here without me to watch over you appleton and lench and coker want looking after badly i know so you see i've come back after all <laughs> he laughed with a little malevolent cackle as he spoke and the three boys named laughed too though with no great heartiness and shifting the while uneasily on their seats after this sally the conversation languished until tom grimstone's appearance he strolled in with a semi-professional air and shook hands with affability tom was a short flabby sandy-haired youth not particularly beloved by his comrades and his first remark was i say you chaps you done your holiday task pa says he shall keep every one in who hasn't i've done mine which as a contribution to the general liveliness was a distinct failure needless to say the work imposed as a holiday occupation had been first deferred then forgotten then remembered too late and recklessly defied with the confidence begotten in a home atmosphere 
Amidst a general silence, Chawner happened to see Mr. Bultitude in his corner, and crossed over to him. "'Why, there's Dicky Bultitude there all the time, and he never came to shake hands. Aren't you going to speak to me?' Paul growled something indistinctly, feeling strangely uncomfortable and confused. "'What's the matter with him?' asked Chawner doesn't anyone know has he lost his tongue he hadn't lost it coming down in the train said coker i wish he had i tell you what you fellows he he's grim at last i'll tell you all about it up in the bedroom and dr grimstone really did arrive at this point much to paul's relief and looked in to give a grip of the hand and a few words to those of the boys he had not seen biddlecombe tipping and the rest came in with him and the schoolroom soon filled with others arriving by later trains amongst the later comers being the two housemasters mr blinkhorn and mr tinkler and there followed a season of bustle and conversation which lasted until the doctor touched a small handbell and ordered them to sit down round the tables while supper was brought in mr bultitude was not sorry to hear the word supper he was faint and dispirited and although he had dined not very long since thought that perhaps a little cold beef and beer or some warmed-up trifle might give him courage to tell his misfortunes before bedtime of one thing he felt certain nothing should induce him to trust his person in a bedroom with any of those violent and vindictive boys whether he succeeded in declaring himself that night or not he would at least insist on a separate bedroom meantime he looked forward to supper as likely to restore geniality and confidence but the supper announced so imposingly proved to consist of nothing more than two plates piled with small pieces of thinly buttered bread which a page handed round together with tumblers of water and paul in his disappointment refused this refreshment with more firmness than politeness as dr grimstone observed you got into trouble last term bultitude he said sternly on account of this same fastidious daintiness your excellent father has informed me of your waste and gluttony at his own bountiful spread table don't let me have occasion to reprove you for this again mr bultitude feeling the necessity of propitiating him hastened to take the two largest squares of bread and butter on the plate they were moist and thick and he had considerable difficulty in disposing of them besides the gratification of hearing himself described as a pig by his neighbours who reproved him with a refreshing candour i must get away from here he thought ruefully dick seems very unpopular i wish i didn't feel so low-spirited and unwell why can't i carry it off easily as, as a kind of joke 
how hard these forms are and how those infernal boys did jog my back bedtime came at length the boys filed one by one out of the room and the doctor stood by the door to shake hands with them as they passed mr bultitude lingered until the others had gone for he had made up his mind to seize this opportunity to open the doctor's eyes to the mistake he was making but he felt unaccountably nervous the diplomatic and well-chosen introduction he had carefully prepared had left him at the critical moment all power of thought was gone with it and he went tremblingly up to the schoolmaster feeling hopelessly at the mercy of anything that chose to come out of his mouth dr grimstone he began before retiring i i must insist i mean i must request what i wish to say is i see said the doctor catching him up sharply you wish to apologize for your extraordinary behavior in the railway carriage well though you made some amends afterwards an apology is very right and proper say no more about it it's not that said paul hopelessly i wanted to explain your conduct with regard to the bread and butter if it was simply a want of appetite of course there is no more to be said but i have an abhorrence of quite right said paul recovering himself i hate waste myself but there is something i must tell you before if it concerns that disgraceful conduct of coker's said the doctor you may speak on i shall have to consider his case to-morrow has any similar case of disobedience come to your knowledge if so i expect you to disclose it to me you have found some other boy with sweetmeats in his possession good heavens sir said mr bultitude losing his temper i haven't been searching the whole school for sweetmeats i have other things to occupy my mind sir and once for all i demand to be heard dr grimstone there are ahem, domestic secrets that can only be alluded to in the strictest privacy i see that one of your assistants is writing at his table there cannot we go where there will be less risk of interruption you have a study i suppose yes sir said the doctor with terrible grimness i have a study and i have a cane i can convince you of both facts if you wish it if you insult me again by this brazen buffoonery i will be off to your dormitory sir before you provoke me to punish you not another word go and incredible as it may appear to all who have never been in his position mr bultitude went it was almost an abdication it was treachery to his true self he knew the vital importance of firmness at this crisis but nevertheless his courage gave way all at once and he crawled up the bare uncarpeted stairs without any further protest good-night master bultitude said a housemaid meeting him on the staircase you know your bedroom number six with master coker and master biddlecombe and the others 
paul dragged himself up to the highest landing stage and with a sick foreboding opened the door on which the figure six was painted it was a large bare plainly papered room with several curtainless windows the blinds of which were drawn a long deal stand with wash-hand basins and eight little white beds against the walls a fire was lighted in the consideration of its being the first night and several boys were talking excitedly round it here he is he's stayed behind to tell more tales they cried as paul entered nervously now then bultitude what have you got to say for yourself mr bultitude felt powerless among all these young wolves he had no knowledge of boys nor any notion of acquiring any influence over them having hitherto regarded them as necessary nuisances to be rather suppressed than studied he could only stare hopelessly at them in fascinated silence you see he hasn't got a word to say for himself said tipping look here what shall we do with him shall we try tossing him in a blanket i've never tried tossing a fellow in a blanket myself but as long as you don't jerk him too high or out on the floor you can't hurt him dangerously no i say don't toss him in a blanket pleaded biddlecombe and paul felt gratefully towards him at the words anyone coming up would see what was going on i vote we flick at him with towels now just you understand this clearly said paul thinking not without reason that this course of treatment was likely to prove painful i refuse to allow myself to be flicked at with towels no one has ever offered me such an indignity in my life oh do you think i've not enough on my mind as it is without the barbarities of a set of young brutes like you as this appeal was not of a very conciliatory nature they at once proceeded to form a circle round him and judging their distance with great accuracy jerked towels at his person with such diabolical dexterity that the wet corners cut him at all points like so many fine thongs and he span round like a top dancing and i regret to add swearing violently at the pain when he was worked up almost to frenzy pitch biddlecombe's sweet low voice cried cave you fellows i hear grim let him undress now and we can lamb it into him afterwards with slippers at this they all cast off such of their clothes as they still wore and slipped modestly and peacefully into bed just as dr grimstone's large form appeared at the doorway mr bultitude made as much haste as he could but did not escape a reprimand from the doctor as he turned the gas out and as soon as he had made the rounds of the bedrooms and his heavy tread had died away down the staircase the light-hearted occupants of number six lambed it into the unhappy paul until they were tired of the exercise and left him to creep sore and trembling with rage and fright into his cold hard bed then after a little desultory conversation one by one sank from incoherence into silence and rose from silence to snores while paul alone lay sleepless listening to the creeping tinkle of the dying fire drearily wondering at the marvellous change that had come over his life and fortunes 
in the last few hours and feverishly composing impassioned appeals which were to touch the doctor's heart and convince his reason End of section 5